Welcome back. Now, in the last few episodes, we've talked through something we've called the story of work, where we've traced the whole biblical narrative, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, to show how work plays into the overall story of God in order to begin crafting a biblical theology of work. And as we mentioned at the beginning of this series, Christians in the Workplace, the material for this comes from a core seminar that Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. makes available for churches just like ours to help equip and train our people to live out our faith in everyday contexts. And so, as we mentioned, the majority of what I'm talking about today is not original. It is uh, the bones and the muscle, most of the muscle, uh, is from them. And we're just kind of adding in a few little things for us as a church in ways that we might apply this locally. And we're really thankful to Capitol Hill Baptist Church for all of their help as we strive to honor Jesus right here in Winnipeg. And in this episode, we want to look more closely at that second piece of the story of work, specifically how the fall has affected work. I mean, that's our lives today, right? (laughs) Working in a fallen world. And as we've experienced, work in a fallen world is hard. I mean, instead of feeling the satisfaction of bringing order out of chaos, we feel the frustration of a chaotic workplace. Instead of seeing our work as worship, we're tempted to worship our work, right? Why doesn't our work today look like the picture in Genesis chapters 1 and 2? And the short answer is Genesis chapter 3, right? Uh, Adam and Eve were choosing to work for themselves, right? To prioritize what they thought was best over what God thought was best. Rather than representing God by cultivating the world as he would have them, they sought their own agenda and they used the world for their purposes. They rebelled against God, right? Believing the lies of Satan and wanting to become like God, deciding and choosing what is evil and good for themselves, a problem that we're all plagued with ever since. And work has never been the same since that time. Uh, Work in this world can be hard, painful, tedious. It can feel futile, right? You, you mow the grass today, it grows back tomorrow. You work hard to pass legislation this year and next year others come and undo what you did. You paint a wall and it needs to be painted again. When that tenant moves out, you do one load of laundry and there's another one. It seems moments later where there's another diaper that needs to be changed. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Sin places a toll on our toil and our work is limited in what it can accomplish how long it lasts, and the satisfaction that we actually derive from it. Solomon described it as meaningless, meaningless. And so in this episode and the one right after it, we're going to be talking about what are some of the problems of doing work in a fallen world. And these things are are hard, right? But perhaps more than anything else, the problem of our work in a fallen world is that it's so easy for us to fail to accomplish God's plans for our work. So we're going to look at two basic categories of failure. First, in in this episode, we're going to talk about making an idol of our work, how we can worship our work. And then in the episode right after, we're going to talk about how we can become idle at our work. We can become lazy or inactive. So idol and idol, (laughs) the twin perils of the workplace. And so in this episode, we're going to cover that, that first one. We can become idle. We can worship 
our work. And how does work become an idol, something that we worship? How do we take this good thing and turn it into a God thing? Well, Sebastian, the man who actually wrote this course, he explains how it happened to him when he realized work had become an idol. This is what he said. He said, I, I remember the first time that I realized that work had become an idol for me. The moment came just after a high point in my professional career path. One of his friends and he, they had started a company, and for the last few years, they had poured themselves heart, soul, and body into it, and the company had done well. Five years into the venture, for all kinds of reasons, however, they decided the time had come to sell the company. Then he writes, I still remember the closing. It was a great day. It was the beginning of a new era of my life. God was about to teach me something new about the way I, I approached my work. Once the dust had settled, I was faced with a new reality. I had to find something else to do. Eager, optimistic, and excited to see what God would lead me in my professional life, I started looking around for fresh opportunities. And I looked a long time, a really long time. Doors closed. Applications were rejected. Phone calls were ignored. Emails were quote-unquote lost. He said, at the end of several months of searching, I was running out of ideas. I trusted that God was leading me somewhere, but it was to a place I never anticipated or desired. God had led him to unemployment. And right along with it, he said, hopelessness and a profound and utterly unfamiliar sense of self-doubt. His emotions had plummeted from the top of the world to a place of despair. In just a few months, his hopes, which had been so high during the sale of his company, were now ruined. His faith in God, he said, was barely limping along. And then he shifts and said, how did this happen? Why did I experience such a profound shift of my emotions and hopes? Why was my faith shaken so deeply? Looking back, I can see why. My hopes had not been rooted in God. They had been rooted in my circumstances, in my professional success, and in my ability to control the future. Work had become an idol to me. My sense of well-being, my very identity as a person was wrapped up in my professional success. And once that was gone, I was devastated. He then writes, my God had been ripped out from under me and I fell hard. Man, did you, did you hear that last line? My God had been ripped out from under me. Brothers and sisters of the trails, Sebastian had made work his idol. But let's back up for a moment. What does it mean when we say that a person has made work an idol? Does it, does it simply mean he or she works too hard? Is it idolatrous to enjoy what we do, to find pleasure in our work? How about enjoying what we do a whole lot? Is it, is it, wrong? Is it wrong to enjoy our work a lot? Is it, is it wrong to want to leave a mark on the world? To put a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs once put it? Now, these can all be perfectly good motivations for work. None of them is necessarily wrong. The trouble starts, however, when our pursuit of enjoyment or influence or status in our work begins to make our work the source of our ultimate satisfaction or meaning for us. When that happens, our work has become our God. And the Bible tells us that our hearts are 
desperately prone to worshiping idols. John Calvin explains that our hearts are idol-making factories. <laughs> what a picture. See, we are, we are worshipers by our very nature as human beings. We will find something to bow before, something to give our lives to and our devotion to. We will worship something. We will center our lives and our schedules and our money around something. We will sacrifice for something. And our compulsion to worship is not a bad thing. God made us for worship, right? I mean, worship is a very good thing as long as the object of our worship is worthy of our worship. So what is the right object for our worship? Oh, I mean, we know it's, it's only God himself, right? Jesus said, Luke chapter 4, verse 8, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, right? Our, our worship should be reserved for God. He alone should command our highest devotion, and it should be around him that we center and organize our lives. And when that pride of place goes to anything or anyone else, when we center and organize our lives around something else other than him, we have bowed our knees to an idol. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, explains that idols promise us the world and they demand everything from us. Yet they cannot provide anything that they promise. They are good things that become God things in our lives. They steal the worship that rightly only belongs to God and gives it to demons instead. Or as Charles said in his sermons, uh, in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, that Satan promises to give you everything right there in that moment, but the wages of it is death. Ha, man, that was such a good, good sermon. And that's so true. And this is exactly what we're talking about. And in the Old Testament and in much of the majority world today, idols are just like you'd picture them, right? I don't know if you've been other parts of the world or even other parts of our city for that matter but there are little gold statues right like the one that's that indiana jones swiped from the temple of doom right in the in the western world we've, we've for the most part though exchanged little gold trinkets for the worship of work and all the things that our job provides us money status identity pleasure purpose and we may not be willing to admit it but we we're prone to worshiping our jobs and, and all that they give us Interestingly enough, uh, in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 29, they, these, these verses help us better understand what it means really to, to let's, let work uh, become an idol for us. There was a rich young ruler. I know you know the story. He comes to Jesus, right, to learn what is required of him to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him, and, and the man excitedly says that this is exactly what his life has always looked like. And then Jesus probes the one area of his life that the young man wants to keep for himself. Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The Bible says that when this young man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Thus, Jesus revealed the man's idol, his love for money and the security and the status it provided to him was something he would not give up. Do you see that? His idol kept him from following Jesus. And this little section gives us one of the clearest and simplest pictures of idolatry in the entire Bible. So a good definition of an idol for us would be this. An idol is something that you desire more than you desire Jesus. Let me say that again. An idol is something you desire more than you desire Jesus. 
So if it's okay to ask you a question that I've asked myself a lot in studying and learning for this episode, do you make an idol of your work? Do you desire what you gain from work? The money, the status, the identity, the pleasure, the purpose. Do you, do you desire what you gain from work more than you desire Jesus? See, brothers and sisters of the trails, it's easy to make your job an idol. Our culture drives us to be successful, but success is typically defined in very specific ways, right? I think of the conversations that you have when you meet someone new. One of the first questions you ask, likely, is what do you do? And at this point, the pressure is on to convince the other person that what we do is very important and we are very good at it. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? All right, the social cues around us push us to find our identity in our jobs, in what we do. Idolizing your work, however, is more than just a bad idea. It's a deadly spiritual danger. In your pursuit of joy, satisfaction, and meaning, if all of that centers on what you do and what you are accomplishing, you'll find nothing but emptiness at the end of that dead-end road. Deep and lasting satisfaction can only be found when our worship is directed at the one who alone deserves it. That's Jesus. All right, so, so what are some warning signs then that this is happening? What are some warning signs that your job might have become an idol for you? And so before we get to these three, I just want to leave a minute for you to think through what would be a warning sign do you think that maybe work has become an idol? So I hope that was profitable and maybe spending a minute to think through it. But if you didn't have any idea, you're like, man, I don't even know. That's why I'm listening to this podcast. Uh, that's all right. Here are some of the most common ways we idolize our jobs. See if any of these describe you. One, your work is the primary source of your satisfaction. It's, it's easy to look for fulfillment from your work, finding your ultimate purpose in job performance and success in the workplace. For some, this kind of idolatry takes the subtle form of insisting that they will only do what they were made to do and refusing to do or refusing to do well anything less than what they're passionate about. An example of this in a local church might be someone who would say, well, God has not gifted me to serve with children's ministry or to set up chairs or vacuum the floor. I don't have the gift of serving, but I have the gift of teaching. So if I have a stage somewhere to speak and use my gifts, great. But apart from that, don't expect much. In this way, people refuse to do or to do well anything less than what they're passionate about. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen that in your workplace as well. Oh man, have you? Right. For, for others, though, this 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 idea of uh, your work being the primary source of your satisfaction, it can take the form of constant grinding frustration, a sense that their work is just not completely fulfilling. Man, what a god of our culture, finding work that is completely and wonderfully and absolutely fulfilling. And if you can't find that, you're doing something wrong. Ha, it's the great pursuit of social media and everything else. 
But for others, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's a deep-seated self-satisfaction in what we've already accomplished. And again, this common way that we idolize our job is that we see our jobs as the primary source for our satisfaction. But the problem is, God didn't make our jobs to do this. It's like a child getting angry at his bicycle because it won't fly. <laughs> it's not supposed to do that, right? The same is true with our jobs. Our jobs were never intended to carry the weight of providing us with ultimate lasting satisfaction. And when we try to make them carry that weight, <laughs> we'll find ourselves quickly disappointed. The second maybe warning sign is that your work is about making a name for yourself. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with working hard and doing your work well. In fact, that's something God requires of us. The, the problem is in our desire to be recognized as being good at something. And so we should ask ourselves, am I trying to make a name for myself? Am I like the people from Genesis chapter 11? Am I sinning against God by trying to exalt my name instead of his? Friends, this can easily become an idol. We want to look good. We want people to take notice of us and praise us for our abilities. Often this, this might show up with a wrongly competitive mindset. We don't just want to do a good job. We want to be seen as better than others. Ultimately, what we're after is glory. And one thing that we have to fight against, even here as pastors who have been called to shepherd this church, is to ensure that we are striving against that exact same spirit of self-exaltation in our work. Because we all face this, every single one of us. See, brothers and sisters, our aim cannot be to be seen as better than others, to seek our glory. Rather, our aim ought to be to seek after the glory of Jesus, to have a ministry like John the Baptist. And oh, how I long for this for our church, to have our lives and the trails shaped by living for Jesus's glory and humbly counting others more significant than ourselves, looking to others' interests and being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind, as Paul writes about in Philippians chapter two. So warning sign number one, that your job might be an idol. You see your job as a primary source of satisfaction. Warning sign number two is that your work is all about making a name for yourself. And the third warning sign that work has, has become an idol is that your work becomes primarily about making a difference in the world. Now, I know what you're thinking. There is something profoundly right about a desire to make a difference in the world around us. That, that's true. But that desire can also elevate uh, itself into idolatry if we believe the value of our work is ultimately determined by its impact on the world. If we believe that the value of our work is ultimately determined by its impact on the world. Well, how does that look? Well, our, our work fills us with pride. We then take credit for the things our work is accomplishing instead of recognizing these achievements as gifts from God. Making a difference or working to change the world can also lead us to neglect other God-given responsibilities. We justify our neglect because we're doing something good, we're serving others. Then if our efforts don't produce the results we want to see, we get discouraged and angry. We become frustrated and think our work was simply a waste of time. Have you ever gotten into that cycle? <laughs> it's a real cycle. And so it might be a good evidence that, that maybe your work is becoming an idol for you. Maybe that desire to leave a mark has, has gone from a good godly desire to an idol in your life that we need to repent on. So as we're wrapping up this episode, I want to leave you with these questions. In thinking through these three ways that work can be an idol, 
Do you see any leanings you might naturally have towards any of these? Maybe it's more than just one of them, but but do do you see any leanings you naturally have towards any one of these three things? How have you been looking too much for happiness, joy, fulfillment, or purpose in your job? Have you found yourself wanting the good that your job promises more than you've desired Jesus? And have you made work an idol? And if you're anything like me, the answer is yes. These things have marked my life, even recently, as I'm sure that they have marked yours as well. And the solution for us, for you and me, is when this happens, when we're convicted of that, is to repent and ask God's forgiveness to look at that bicycle of work and when we're expecting it to fly, we get frustrated when it doesn't fly. We, we just simply turn from our futile and wrong way of thinking, recognizing our idolatry of work for what it is, and refocus our mind on working as an act of worship to God. And this is something that you will need to be reminded of often, just as I do, because the flowing stream of our culture is strong, right? Finding our identity in our work as our ultimate source of satisfaction or to make a name for ourselves or to only value our work depending on its impact on the world. Friends, these will lead you to dark places of worshiping a good gift of God, work rather than God himself. So maybe this means that you write on a little sticky note in your truck or near your workplace or on your refrigerator door or by your kid's change table where you change their diaper, a simple little note that says, work for Jesus, as a reminder that we are to work unto the Lord. Or maybe memorize Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 over the next couple of days. That would be really helpful because we all have a daily forgetfulness that work is a terrible idol. And when we repent from our idolatry, we find, to our great joy, that the goalposts suddenly stop moving. That's because once you ground your life and joy and satisfaction in God, There is no, what's next? So is work an idol for you? Or as we'll talk about in the next episode, are you idle at work?